So what was that thing I was going to say again? Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, hey, Dan? Yeah. Parties, 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 drugs, 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 drugs. Hey, guys. What? what? Isn't this Doug Van Pelt from HM Magazine? No. <laughs> it kind of is. Oh, yeah, it is. Why don't we talk to him about the crucified? Okay. One, two, three, four. This is Doug Van Pelt of Heaven's Metal, and you're listening to Discography Discussion, and we're talking about The Crucified. You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 106, The Crucified, featuring Doug Van Pelt of HM Magazine, presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you're listening to us talk to Doug Van Pelt from HM Magazine, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. That is Jeff. Ladies and gentlemen, Doug Van Pelt is here. This is Doug. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I like his version better than mine. And he's here to tell us all about the crucified. We're not even going to do anything. We're just like total silence, make it super awkward. It's kind of weird. Jeff actually was texting me earlier this week and was like, is it weird that I like the KGB stuff? I was like, it's not (laughs) weird, man. I mean, it sounds exactly like what it is. You know, a bunch of kids, youth group kids playing punk rock. Yeah. I I just, I love the passion of it. They're, they're excited about it. It's, it's, you can, it kind of, they're able to convey it. And I, I enjoy that whenever, uh, somebody believes in whatever material it is that they're uh, they're playing so much so that uh, I believe it as well and that on the KGD stuff I was just like yeah this is this is it I, I was thoroughly enjoying myself this week listening to it I felt like I was a teenager all over again <laughs> right on then I saw when it came out and I, I was like no I was not a teenager when this came out <laughs> I was about six years old when they came out 63 right Jeff? really <laughs> no, not, I'm not that old, Joe. Thanks. I'm the elder statesman, so they love giving me grief. So did you get these tapes when they came out, order them through the mail, or did you live nearby the Fresno or San Francisco area or anything like that? No, the only reason I know about these tapes is because uh, it was all re-released relatively recently, I guess maybe 10 years ago now. Uh, it was all released as a complete crucified collection because before that, all I'd heard was... I heard uh, Nailed and Take Up Your Cross. I had a Tooth and Nail release that had both of those demos on it. Right. And so I'd heard that, but I hadn't heard any of the early KGB stuff until I heard the Crucified Complete Collection that was released. Yeah, same here. And that was 2009 when that came out. Yeah. Yeah. We've all got that. That's a great little box set. Yes, it is. That's perfect. It's like, if you want the Crucified, here it is. All of it. (laughs) Yeah. But um, as far as... uh, Joe, I'm sorry. Did you have your intro to do? I mean, I can do it now or later. It's up do to it you. Do it now. Just do it now. Let's get over with. Oh, I got to come up with something clever now. <laughs> On the spot. Okay, well, you guys asked for it. <clears throat> <laughs> well, before everyone in this podcast decides to leave Amy Grant alone, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, so if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion Podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening, and now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. Well, we love five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion. How much do we love them? We like them a lot. 
they not only boost our ego, but they boost the ego of everybody else that's left a review. That may or may not be true. But seriously, guys, reviews help us out exponentially. Because the world is run by recommendation algorithms, at least the internet world, if you're, if you're listening to a podcast that's similar to ours, we want you guys to know about our podcast. And the best way that that algorithm knows to recommend that podcast is based on how many reviews and how many listeners and subscribers that we have. So it is literally one of the best ways you can help us out. And now Doug Van Pelt is going to tell us all about HM Magazine. Hey, you want me to roll with that? Roll with yeah, it. Yeah, go right ahead. HM Magazine. I started HM Magazine in June of 1985. It was called Heaven's Metal Magazine. And it was a piece of crap, black and white, Xerox cut up, uh, fanzine looking thing. But the the idea, the vision from the beginning was to be a full-blown magazine. I just didn't have a bunch of venture capital to start it off right. So I grew as I could afford to grow, covering uh, all of Christian heavy metal and hard rock. Uh, Heaven's Metal kind of uh, was born and was part of the ground floor of the Christian heavy metal movement, which blew up in 1985, 86, and 87. So because I was part of that, I was able to grow with the, the scene and experience a lot of growth and got uh, went from the fanzine status to being in Christian bookstores. And uh, being in Christian bookstores was a funny uh, little story that involves my band Lust Control. In 1988, uh, we released our very first album it was a cassette album with 11 songs called this is a condemnation and a good buddy of mine named mike delaney who was uh, a really cool uh and a stellar part of the christian underground music scene in the 80s because he worked at spring arbor distributors it was a giant warehouse it was a one-stop distributor based in spring arbor michigan double check that city i think it's called spring arbor it might have been ann arbor michigan somewhere up in michigan and uh Anyway, he was the music buyer for Spring Arbor and uh, Christian bookstores, which is they almost don't exist anymore, which is an anomaly unto itself. But Christian bookstores, you know, started selling books and Bibles back in the day with along with choir robes and wafers and grape juice, probably for communion and all <laughs> kinds of things that Christians or churches would need. And in the early 70s, when a lot of hippies were getting saved and coming to Jesus, they wanted to express their newfound faith in Christ to their fellow hippies with the language that they spoke, which is the language of the street, which was rock and roll. So Christian rock was born. Artists like Love Song, Second Chapter of Acts, and Larry Norman, and Keith Green, and all these people were making rock music, and some Christian businessmen saw a way to uh, facilitate that. So they formed record companies, and they pressed albums and eight-track tapes at the time, and cassette tapes. And Christian Bookstores was the natural distribution channel for that music. And so that's how Christian Bookstores became to be like the record store for the Christian music industry uh, back in the early days of the mid to late 70s going up into the 80s. And so fast forward to 1988, Mike Delaney saw my cassette tape, This Is a Condemnation, wanted to order 200 copies of it. So I packaged up 200 cassettes and shipped it up there. And the day that it arrived into the Spring Arbor warehouse, it became a buzz in the warehouse. Everybody that worked there seemingly was talking about it. Did you see the name of this album? Here, pull it up, pull it up, pull it up. Look at that. He, 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 t- t- you know, giggle, giggle. It says condemnation, you know, and 
and it was spread like wildfire. So the vice president of sales heard about it and he called Mike Delaney and I can imagine it was on intercom. Mike, I need you to come into my office right now. <laughs> and when he came in, it was probably shut the door behind you. And Mike Delaney was told under no uh, under under no uncertain circumstances, he had to return all 200 of those cassettes back because we were not going to sell those albums to our outlets, you know. And some of those cassettes probably got shipped out to stores already, but he returned a, a the cassettes to me had his tail between his legs and he said if there's anything i can do for you to make up for this embarrassing moment you know let me know and i was like well actually mike there is <laughs> i know you guys have a flyer marketing campaign where all the christian bookstores they get a shipment of spring arbor stuff which was like you know amy grant albums or bibles or books or whatever spring arbor sold it all it wasn't just a christian record company or a christian book publishing spring arbor was a one-stop that had it all and so when you got your package from spring arbor there was a little you know, collar Xerox flyer in there that said, you know, hey, check out the new, you know, book by Jen, you know, whatever. And and so I said, you know, you guys do this flyer campaign. Can I put a flyer in there for Heaven's Metal magazine? And he was like, yes, we can, Doug. And so I designed a flyer and sent it to him. And the flyer took off in a lot of bookstores around the country. He said, sign me up. We want to get 10 copies. We want 20 copies. We want five copies and try it out. And it was so popular that the magazine buyer was looking over Mike's shoulder and said, hey, I'd like to take this title on. Can I do that? And that's how Heaven's Metal, you know, received an upgrade as far as distribution and went from fanzine mail order status to being on retail shelves. And so, sorry if this has taken me such a long time and I'm boring you with history. No, but it's there's fine. a little history of Christian music, Christian bookstores and Heaven's Metal magazine. And then uh, Heaven's Metal continued to grow and um, it got a lot of favor from the Christian record companies. They looked at Heaven's Metal as what they wanted to market their product with, a vehicle that they wanted to market with. So I started doing advertisements and growing and growing and Star Song Records asked me to executive produce a box set, which was a heck of a lot of fun. So I took 31 songs, a song from each uh, band in the Christian heavy metal scene that I deemed was worthy to be in the box set. Put that out in 1992. Um, but in 1995, uh, four years after Nirvana came upon the scene, heavy metal became a bad word. It was like, you know, the name Heaven's Metal was like the perfect name of a magazine. In fact, it was so perfect when somebody suggested I should change it to HM. I was offended and I actually <laughs> wanted to use language. I was at a Frontline Records offices late one night i traded some advertising space with them for the opportunity to use their video editing suite there was a little uh, software and hardware program called the video toaster and i was using that to put together and edit my heaven's metal video magazines volumes two and three and uh michael sean black who had a song written about him uh by uh this band that would be fun to talk about later uh the name of the band is escaping me right now uh, my little dog china was the, the name of the band and kevin clay released a song called color me black and it's all about michael sean black which is funny but he, so he's a character in the christian music industry he was kind of uh, into sales for frontline and he came into this office late that night i was the only one there i had the key to the place i was editing videos late into the night drinking coffee and he comes in he goes you should change the name of your magazine to hm and honestly um you know because of my convictions and faith 
I hadn't cussed in probably a good decade, and I wanted to throw out some words, some choice words to that guy that night because I thought I was I was offended. I was personally offended. Like, how could I change my name? Heaven's Metal is like the perfect name for a Christian heavy metal magazine. Uh, but you know, people like to abbreviate things, especially people from Australia or Great Britain. They abbreviate everything. They call relatives rellies. They call universities uni, and, and people were calling Heaven's Metal HM when they wrote letters to the editor. So um, that conversation with him got me thinking, though, when I was alone, I thought, you know what? Because people abbreviated already, if I changed it to HM, it would, you know, be the best name change I could do because Heaven's Metal was so perfect. I can't imagine calling it, you know, Glory Fire or some weird, you know, magazine name. Uh, no offense to anybody that has a ministry or business or band or radio show called Glory Fire. I just pulled that out of the air. But um, in 1995, uh, metal became a bad word. You'd think that, you know, with the name like Heaven's Metal, maybe Heaven's became a bad word, that I faced pressure from the secular world to tone down the gospel or Christianity. But no, it's actually metal became a bad word. And the entire music industry, you had retail stores that had a metal section. Those metal sections disappeared. Radio stations had metal shows. Those shows disappeared. Record companies had metal divisions. And with promotions that did radio for metal promotions, those disappeared almost overnight. In, in about four years from Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit release and the whole Seattle scene coming along, uh, you know, metal became a bad word. It became like a weight around my neck. So uh, I wasn't getting as much. My advertising sales started to dip. It was harder and harder to sell ads because, you know, the word metal in our name. So we, we faced the pressure of we need to do something because the music revolution, which MTV was advertising all the time, had really happened. And, you know, alternative and lo-fi and um, all kinds of punk rock and as weird as it could be. And ska music was coming on. So the music scene that the young people were listening to was changing. But what I like is hard music. And I'd been using the phrase hard music for a few years as a subtitle underneath my magazine anyway. Um, so I changed the name of the magazine from Heaven's Metal to HM in 1995, which was kind of nice because it was the 10-year anniversary of the launch of Heaven's Metal magazine. So it was a nice way to put a 10-year cap on Heaven's Metal and start a transition to HM. And the last two issues of that year, the little HM logo is kind of like a little gas station oval and had a lowercase h and m. Underneath that oval, it said Heaven's Metal for two issues. And then in January of 96, <clears throat> the Heaven's Metal disappeared. And it was just HM. And I caught a lot of flack from metalheads because they felt like I had betrayed an entire genre, you know, by changing my name. And, you know, God forbid I would try to survive as a business and roll with the changes and adapt to the, the changing musical climate. But I did, and I felt like I did a good job, and it was a challenge because I faced that backlash from metalheads who thought I was turning my back on the genre. But um, speaking of heavy metal at the time, you know, hair metal had done such a good job of becoming a joke and lacking substance that a lot of the metal bands had kind of shot themselves in the foot. Commercial metal, which was king of the music world for half of a decade, was releasing some stuff that was just, just wasn't great. <clears throat> um, and so the only metal that was growing and being challenging and really expanding things was death metal and grindcore and black metal. And so metal kind of went underground <clears throat> commercially for a magazine. Um, I embraced, you know, all kinds of hard music. And for me, it was always 
I enjoyed it. Like bands like Stavesacre, which we might talk about tonight because we're talking about the Crucified, which had members of, of the Crucified in it. Uh, it was always led by the guitar, you know, hard music, <clears throat> punk rock music, alternative rock, grunge. It was still electric guitar dominated. And if it had the guitar in it, it was still rock and roll for me. So that's kind of how I navigated the transition in 95 to HM Magazine. And, <clears throat> and then HM Magazine is still going today. It, it actually stayed in print until the end of 2011. Um, so it kept on going, kept on going. And then after the music industry, the marketing business and <clears throat> advertising in the U.S. economy all taking a dive around 2008, it became a real chore to keep a commercially viable magazine alive. So after a few years of doing everything I could to keep it going, I uh, <clears throat> went just online only. At our, I did an online presence back in 2007 when the internet became such a big thing and a thing called MySpace was popular. And I uh, hope I'm not putting you guys to sleep. But anyway, so there's there's the history of HM Magazine, Heaven's Metal Magazine. Um, sometime around 2004, I think it was, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night on Labor Day weekend and thought of this idea of bringing back Heaven's Metal as a side magazine or a fanzine to, is a complimentary thing to go with HM that covered just metal. And so we did that. So for a while I had you know two publications going on. Now uh, I sold HM Magazine in 2013, but kept the name Heaven's Metal. So now I have a, a really cool group of guys that has an editorial team that makes up Heaven's Metal Magazine. So heavensmetalmagazine.com is is carrying the torch of Heaven's Metal and hmmagazine.com under new ownership is still going and kind of carrying the torch of what HM was known for stylistically. So anyway, so there's the end of my HM Magazine uh, history. You're welcome. Hey, we're, we're definitely glad you went through all of that. We told you. I mean, we told you. Tell us all about HM Magazine. So <laughs> you got it. Message received. No, it's perfect. Yeah, we we enjoy the history lesson. Seriously, we do. Cool. Man, I'm such a huge nerd about Christian metal and and the whole scene and how it all came about. So that was all all good to me, man. Don't believe these guys, uh, audience, because I'm seeing them on video and they're all nodding off. Oh, that's. <laughs> That's just you can only the, see that's just they're the beer. yawning. You can only see half my head, so it's the beer. It's all the beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Joe's well, well hidden. There he goes. There he is. <laughs> Joe does all the magical stuff for us. He he edits the podcast and records it and everything. Me and this guy just show up and talk. I mean, that's that's our whole deal. Yeah, the easy part. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. I contact the guests. So, you know, I, I get people in order. Yeah, I have the easiest job. No question. It's funny because yeah. I was like, hey, I asked Doug Van Pelt if he wanted to be on the show, and he, he said he'd do it. And then they're like, how'd you pull that off? I was like, I just asked him if he wanted to be on the show, and he said, <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> I'm going to go into a little bit of the first time I heard The Crucified. I definitely heard Stave Saker before I heard The Crucified. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So because, I mean, growing up, I mean, I'm, I'm about 33, so... If you want to say, let's say I was born in 86, so by the time I was cognizant enough to, to be listening to music or rock music, you know, would have been about the time that Stave Saker was, you know, more more of a prominent act than, than The Crucified. But I, I eventually worked my way back, and I, I picked up a uh, compilation album, which was uh, Nailed and Take Up Your Cross, and I didn't even know that The Crucified played metal for the longest time because this is still like early internet so like you can't just go on wikipedia and 
look up everything the band had. I just assumed they were a punk rock band, Christian. And then, you know, the singer went on to do uh, Stavesaker. So I didn't really think about it that much. And then I started seeing the Crucified pop up on all these lists online of like the greatest Christian metal bands of all time and all that. And I was like, huh, that's that's weird. So that's whenever I, I, I checked out the Crucified self-titled album and I was like, okay, now I get it. You know, now, now I can hear that. Um, what about you guys? When was the first time? Uh, I'll start with Doug. What, what was the first time you heard the Crucified? I heard the Crucified live at Cornerstone. I think I could be wrong, but I think it was '87. Before, and I think that was before the self-titled came out. I want to say the self-titled came out in '88 or '89. Yeah, so. I saw them live at Cornerstone. Uh, they were a buzz in the underground scene. So we were, you know, the underground music scene in those days was people mailing cassette tapes or mixtapes to each other. It wasn't like sending MP3s via email and stuff like that. <clears throat> and they were really awesome live. They were, uh, you know, Greg, it was just a four piece. And really people say three piece because Mark didn't play an instrument. It was just, uh, you know, pretty sure Jeff Ballou was in the band at that point and Jim Chaffin and Greg Minier making all that noise. And uh, Greg was uh, didn't have a hair as long as he did at the, at the end of Crucified. So, and so he looked much younger. He looked like a young kid, <laughs> but uh, he could sure play well and very aggressive musically. So my first, uh, and then Mark was, you know, kind of kneel down with the microphone in his hand, let the audience sing along to some of his music or get the microphone so he could share it and people would shout along with the lyrics with him. Uh, a lot of audience interaction. Um, very hot, sweaty show in uh, these metal barns. Uh, Cornerstone Festival, which was like the, the greatest place on earth is when it came to radical Christian music because they embraced it, unlike um, other festivals, which were like Ma and Pa, uh, bring the whole family and listen to all styles of music all day long and maybe a little bit of rock and crazy metal at night on one small stage. But Cornerstone majored on, on the fringes of music. And... Uh, it was held at the Grace Lake uh, County Fairgrounds <clears throat> up near, uh, there's a big amusement park up there and just kind of northeast of Chicago. And uh, they had these two metal buildings where they probably had a little, some sort of rodeos or, or they had animals doing stuff for, you know, rodeos or county fairs uh, during the summertime. But, you know, the Cornerstone Festival rented out the place for uh, half a week. And these metal buildings, when they had a bunch of people in mosh pits running around, and this was like July 4th weekend, so it was steamy hot. And uh, sometimes people from the stage would throw like these giant buckets, like, you know, the, you know, the giant metal buckets that you bob for apples in as a kid, like a, like a horses or something might drink out of it. They had those backstage filled up with ice and like soda pop or whatever, so, or in water so bands could drink uh, liquids in keep hydrated but they would take some of those things and fill it with water and just run to the edge of the stage and throw it in the audience because the audience was you know there were stage diving there was mosh pits and people you know banging their heads and stuff and so that was like the room got really really hot a lot of sweaty bodies and then sometimes that water when it would hit the audience it would um, you'd almost see steam coming up a little bit later because it was so hot you know probably almost 100 degrees inside there uh late at night so that was my first exposure to the Crucified live, and they certainly delivered live. Uh, they were raw, they were heavy, um, and fairly full-sounding. You know, it, is, it was just between uh, guitar, bass, and drums. They had a pretty full sound. Um, wasn't like some, you know, it wasn't like some of the recordings, which kind of sounds a little bit thin in places. But uh, 
they sounded pretty full on live. So I got to hear some of those early songs uh, at those shows. As far as a recorded package, I think the first thing I heard was maybe the Heavy Righteous Metal compilation on Pure Metal Records. I think it was volume one. It might have been volume two. They released the song Hellcorn uh, as a single from the self-titled Crucified album. And that's not my favorite Crucified song. I'm not really into that song. Um, so my first exposure to the recorded uh, project didn't really do it for me. And uh, even when I got the self-titled, it, it had to grow on me after seeing them live. When I saw some songs like Crucial Moment live where the audience is going, United! United by Christ! United! And just, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people chanting that. And it builds and builds. And it's just like this, it blows up in this giant crescendo of passion and emotion. Seeing that live translated into enjoying that song on the album. Um, so that was kind of what, what got me hooked on The Crucified. Um, is seeing them live and just and, and listening to those recorded albums later kind of brought back some of the energy from their live concert. Very cool. Jeff, what about you? Uh, I don't have quite the exciting story on that. <laughs> my uh, my introduction actually came from Dan. So I do that. Dan says you're welcome. Yeah, pretty yeah. pretty boring story there. I don't have a whole lot to go to go with on there, but yeah, it was just Dan telling me about it after um, we did a podcast about uh, Stave Saker. And I was like, "Oh yeah, I gotta check this out." That because that was um, it was as the story grows. I think is uh, what you whenever you told me about it, and I started doing research and really dug it. And I was like, "I like the Crucified a lot more than I like Stave Saker." Awesome. I don't know if I'm so- that far with it, but you know, we'll talk about that on a Stave Saker episode sometime <laughs> in the future. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I'll get to tell you how you're wrong. Oh, um, I'm not wrong, Joe. What about you? <laughs> I think I spent more time listening to The Crucified after Tooth and Nail put out that box set in 2009 than I ever did before that. And to me, that is unfortunate because when I listen to The Crucified, even the old stuff, it brings up the same emotions as listening to The Clash or The Sex Pistols because I love that era of punk rock that I really wasn't alive for where it's not about being overdriven distortion. It's about barking at the microphone and just telling everybody how to feel and i feel like the crucified could have done that same thing well i'm going to jump into what i think is what i would consider to be the first album which is called kgb that's and a demo sir this that's isn't four a... songs i'm sorry that's what 10 songs <laughs> no hey, no no let dan have his way it's an album We're it's got 10 songs it's fine and uh it's a good thing that doug knows how it works around here so <laughs> all right <laughs> so but uh I, I I'm really, not gonna tell I'm not gonna tell Jeff what to do with his life, but Jeff, you should go to Dan and say, You're gonna buy me dinner. Uh, because no, I'm sorry. Dan, you should tell Jeff that Jeff is gonna buy you dinner because he owes you for introducing the crucified to him. <laughs> he likes that even more. Even better. <laughs> I was like, I'll buy him dinner if he's hungry, right? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so I'll ex- I'll actually uh, I'll smoke some ribs. There about, you go. I'd, I'd rather they do that. <laughs> right. There I'm, you go. I'm a homebody. <laughs> So KGB was the original name of the band, which apparently they came up with the name KGB just for no reason other than, hey, it sounds like a cool punk rock band name. And then people started asking them, what does it mean? And they're like, oh, it's definitely Kids and God's Blessing. Right. Uh, Which is kind of like a really lame name for a band. Uh, It's not very punk rock. No, like KGB (laughs) sounds better, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But uh, they they recorded an album or a demo, rather, and... I don't know, like me and Jeff have been talking about this all week, but the vocals on it, it does not sound like Mark Solomon. 
Yeah. It, it sounds like I know they had a singer before Mark named Wayne Stone Cipher. And I had to like do some serious internet digging just to find that. And it, <laughs> but it doesn't sound like Mark at all, especially when you go to their next demo, uh, Take Up Your Cross, you can tell that's Mark Solomon singing, you know. Uh, but on this one, I think it's the old guy. Yeah. That sounds right. I dug it. I did a lot. I actually liked that vocal delivery. It kind of gave me uh, an old, well, it is old school punk. I mean, but I, it made me think like Dead Milkman kind of feel with his vocal delivery. And I and I like that style personally, but there's just, you know, I had a lot of fun with it. I had way more fun this week than I thought I would uh, with this band listening to all these old demos from, from the 80s. I It was like... Uh, the time warp, man. I, I had so much fun going back and listening to stuff that all of my friends' older brothers used to listen to when in, in the 80s. So this was like, fit the vibe perfectly for me. In my third Beautiful. way through the discography, I kept jumping back and forth between KGB and then I'd go listen to Iggy Pop. I'd come back and try to listen to the complete collection again and then I'd be jumping back off onto The Clash. So it got me in the right mood to listen to punk rock. Nice. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Dan's just listening to KGB. No, sorry. I, I was thinking about something else. But uh, KGB was a really cool introductory demo. And what I like about it is that it sounds really good, which is unusual for early Christian punk bands. You would expect the Crucified's first demo to sound worse than their second demo. <laughs> but you would be wrong. As yeah. a matter of fact, I feel like as far as their demos go, they like stopped caring a lot more between releases. And we're going for more of a raw sound, whereas KGB sounds really clean. You can understand all the vocals. The guitar tone isn't really that aggressive. I mean, it sounds it sounds like what an 80s punk rock guitarist would, would play. But right. one one of the criticisms I have for early 80s punk and like hardcore punk and stuff is that it's not that aggressive. It, it sounds, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to say electronic, but it, it doesn't have a crunch to it. And that really bugs me because it's like they almost put some kind of weird pedal distortion on it. And I'm not really yeah. into that. So that's the only really downside I have to KGB. I think it sounds like what it is. I think it sounds like a bunch of kids playing punk rock for Jesus because mm-hmm. that's what they, they felt like they needed to do. And we're glad that they did and they got that start. But uh, the band didn't really start picking up steam for me until they had Mark Solomon on board and they went into the uh, Take Up Your Cross demo, which is, again, a really long demo, so I'm going to call it an album. It must have been funny to see the crucified in those early days because Mark Solomon became kind of an imposing figure and, uh, you know, with his bald head and his menacing look and his intensity on his face. Um, and, and I'm told that from time to time he actually, you know, he would he could he would get into the crowd and calm some situations down. And, you know, sometimes at punk rock shows there's violence and there's stuff that somebody needs to do something about to keep the order going and keep the show safe or whatever. But when he was super young, I bet he wasn't as menacing. So I wonder, uh, you know, what his uh, what his his tenor was like, and what uh, you know, kind of how he came off to the audience. I think it was probably a lot. Uh, the energy was probably uh, the paramount thing for that band, as opposed to their image, which got stronger and stronger. I think as time went on. I don't know. There even were a couple of somewhat negative stories about him during that time about how he just wasn't like that receptive to fans and stuff. And they'd come up and want him to sign stuff and he'd just be like, no, no. Or he'd write like, he'd write some kind of Bible verse about how you shouldn't idolize people on their merch, (laughs) uh, which is actually kind of really funny, but it wasn't until I read Mark's book simplicity that all that stuff started making sense. 
um, yeah. as far as where he was spiritually and how, you know, the band was a very, very like upfront, like Christian ministry type of band. But the individual band members, you know, obviously were doing things that maybe wouldn't fit with that. And just having to do that type of damage control all the time and having to be scared of what you do say to people and things like that. <laughs> Everybody's got all these expectations on you for how you're supposed to act. So, I mean, looking at it through that lens, I totally get it. Whenever I think about some of those stories, it's like, I don't want to have a long conversation with you and then accidentally mess up and say something. You know, like, I don't want somebody to hear me say shit on stage and then suddenly nobody buys our stuff at Christian bookstores anymore. You know, like, so I, I, I understand that side of it. Yeah, I get what he's feeling. I'm, I'm behaving myself. Normally, I'm the reason why there's the beep button. Yeah, we beep <laughs> Jeff pretty frequently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have teenage boys at home, so that's just, when they're playing video games, that's not necessarily that I'm hearing it from them, but... The, the online chat, that's all I hear is just a bunch of teenagers dropping F-bombs, you know, perpetually. Yeah. So <laughs> so I, I've kind of, you know, to keep my street cred and try to be the quote-unquote cool dad, I always, uh, I sound like a sailor uh, pretty frequently. <laughs> my dad is so cool, he cusses. Yeah. Yeah, well. You can't be a homebody, Jeff, and have street cred at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Well, I'm, I'm at yeah, home. Make a choice. I'm at home getting my street cred online. Let's get that straight here. <laughs> You're better than me. I'm the cool guy at church that cusses. That's, you know. But, no, we're, uh, we're both, Dan and I are both the cool guys that used to run video game stores. So right. that, that's, that oh, actually, really? oh, yeah, that's that's won me so much cred with my, my uh, kids' buddies. I, it, I can't tell you how much that is like, oh, okay. Jeff's the cool dad. He like knows all the video games and he's probably better at FPSs than we are first person shooters and like all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, yep, that's right. Yep. <laughs> Although I'm, I'm terrible at him, but I don't, I don't let on. <laughs> well, getting back to this demo. Oh yeah. See, uh, see, now you know why we have such long episodes. I'm really good at taking people off on tangents. That's, that's my, that's my job. <laughs> uh, on this demo this take up your cross this is a lot more extreme than kgb was they're back they're the crucified now which is the best name that they came up with yeah. and this is a lot more hardcore punk like i would actually throw it you know as far as the year goes it being in the 80s and this being as extreme as it is this is definitely hardcore punk as opposed to just like youth group punk rock and i, right. I appreciate this sound so much more out of the crucified than I did on KGB just because it's Mark Solomon. It's heavy. Some of the songs actually borderline on thrash metal, which really is important later on. And yeah. uh, and I, I love it. it. I don't love it as much as I love the Crucified self-titled, but it's a huge step in the right direction. And it's a lot of the songs that you heard on KBG, but they're like beefed up significantly. Yeah. I think the um, one of the things is, uh, if I remember correctly, from whenever Mark was on... Uh, as the story grows, he said something along the lines, you know, this is whenever they started getting um, street cred, essentially, and they were honing their craft because they were playing so much live and live shows. It was really, really interesting. I think it was Mark that was on it. Maybe, maybe it wasn't. But one of the guys from the Crucified was was on the uh, that episode and was talking about it. And that's part of the reason why the sound changed because that's what they were, you know, drifting towards. But that's also what they were getting good reactions from whenever they were playing shows and so it just it kind of went hand in hand well i remember reading in mark's book about how he sent a demo off to a to a pen pal essentially because that's what you did back in the day you traded tapes with people you know because you're such a small scene there really wasn't a market for christian punk rock at the beginning 
So the only way you can find like-minded people is to write letters and, and find people through magazines and do fan magazines and things like that. And he said he remembered sending a tape to a guy of their uh, Take Up Your Cross, or maybe it might have even been nailed. And the guy's only response is, thank you so much for not sucking. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome, because like you send somebody KGB, you're like, either I'm never going to hear back from this person or they're going to think it's the greatest thing ever, but it's not the best punk rock out there. But by the time you get to Take Up Your Cross and Nailed, I mean, you've got a totally different monster and you've got a band that's not afraid to go the more extreme and but they kept their lyrics kind of in the same spot you know this is an era of christian music where we weren't worrying every time a band released an album are they still christian are they not right oh my goodness you know like this band is called the crucified they are obviously all about god right well you'd think that but there's tons of bands that you'd think were all about god then like two albums later they're like yeah i don't know about it we talk about a lot of those bands on the show that's that's what they call a dan terry special <laughs> You're is, sleeping in a bed is the, of shame. Is the, yeah, the, the Christian band that started off very evangelical and then fell off the bandwagon like eight years later. The Crucified, you didn't have to worry about that, really. At least if there was stuff going on behind the scenes, you didn't know about it. And uh, I really like Take Up Your Cross. I think it's a better representation of what The Crucified was before they went like straight thrash metal. And uh, Nailed is even more. Like Nailed is super extreme. One of my favorite songs off of their album uh, or their demo, Nailed, is I'm Not a Christian Punk. Uh, it's a great intro. Yep. Oh, my goodness. It is so heavy, too, for them. Like, it's so much. Like, you think they were playing fast on Take Up Your Cross. You haven't heard nothing yet. This is very extreme. It is straight-up hardcore punk with shouted scream vocals. And it's just everything you want if you're a youth group kid that wants to hear punk rock about God but doesn't want to listen to all the anti-Christian punk that's out there. This was like kind of the, the icing on the cake. This is the band that you could take seriously in your scene. And that's really what carried them on into the meat of this discussion, which will be the crucified self-titled debut. One thing I wanted to bring up too, and in, in, in their demo years when they, when they became the crucified and take up your cross and nailed, um, is that they started playing shows in you know, clubs. And there's something that, one thing that's really cool about Christian rock and heavy metal and harder music, and in this case, hardcore punk, that is so cool is, is it didn't try to stay safe. It didn't stay sequestered in the youth group rooms, uh, just playing inside church basements and stuff. There, Some of that was going on, uh, even in the Crucified's heyday. Some of their bigger shows were churches in Southern California. But uh, the fact that they had to play in clubs and they played with secular bands, you had to kind of step up to the plate and deliver something that didn't suck. And uh, and so the fact that, you know, the guitars and their singing and everything was just so intense. And um, I don't want to use the word brutal out of context, but so brutal that, um, you know, it stood on its own on its own merits. It wasn't pretty good for Christian. It was, uh, you know, competing with its musical peers in the streets and that's one of the coolest things about this band is um they they had they had credibility and they earned it you know they didn't uh get it given to them because they were christians or had nice lyrics <clears throat> they earned it through riffs and screams and you know blood sweat and tears it was awesome yeah if you don't listen to the lyrics and which i'm prone to do i mean it's just like you said it's a it's a brutal band and that's in, in a good way and that's uh, that's exactly uh, 
I, I guess if you're a, a Christian band working on cracking into the uh, the secular secular market and you're playing against your you know you know with your secular peers, that's what you want. The the message is, is a plus, but you want to be able to be based on your abilities and not on your religion. And that, I think they they did that quite well. You know, there's a lot of bands that you know, like we talked about um, the Dan Terry specials. You know, I think they start out. Uh, as Christian bands because they, they think that's the, the quick, easy way in to, to grab that quick buck. And then once they're established, they're like, oh, I don't know. Not, not, you know, we're, we're a secular band now. You know, we, we drop F-bombs and we're cool now. <laughs> and that stuff just drives me nuts. I'm like, if you are who you are. It, quit playing it. You know, if that's, you know, if you were lying all these years, that just that just pisses me off. I, that's just that's just trash. That makes me angry. And these guys are just crucified. Is just the complete opposite. They uh, they're just they're badass. You know, through and through in, in a good way. So I yeah I I I really 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 enjoyed this week listening to uh, uh, this discography. I and I wasn't I I, I knew I was going to enjoy it, but I didn't expect the demos to be as good as they were before you know the the self-titled hit i was i was shocked and in a good way i was super happy yeah i think that this album has some balls on it if i'm allowed to say that you Uh, are okay balls 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 perfect (laughs) uh lots of balls on this episode huevos rancheros there you go these are uh these are some ballsy songs at one point he even calls out slayer which is the craziest thing i've ever heard like a christian thrash metal band too uh, where he's like, yeah, and those boys of South of Heaven act all concerned, and then they turn around and charge $20 for a t-shirt. <laughs> and I was like, man, like, this isn't even like a theological thing. This is like, you guys suck because all you care about is money. <laughs> uh, and I'd never heard that out of a Christian band before, like calling out a, a prominent band that was in the same genre. But uh, this is so aggressive and so intense. I mean, when the pit comes on, it loads, I mean, it comes in just like any other heavy metal album. You know, you've got guitar squealing going on all over the place. And then it, it goes into this punk rock thrash metal rhythm. And you've got Mark's vocals are hitting you like a machine gun. Just bam, 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 bam. And he's so on point and he sounds so good. And you're just like, oh my God, like where's this band been my whole life? Especially if you hadn't listened to a lot of thrash metal bands before that. And I would imagine that a lot of Christians probably hadn't. Um, if they were only raised in Christian music, you know, yeah, you've got you've got your your bride and and stuff like that, and you know, you've got bands that were heavy, but like not like this. Mm-hmm. This was this was like a whole different beast, and uh, even today, I think it stands up where people are appreciating you know old school thrash metal a lot more. It was great to see how they made the transition from being a hardcore punk band to being a thrash band. And it was actually almost seamless. Like, you'd almost have to be blind not to see it coming. Yeah. And for the record, I think Hellcorn is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good song. I don't want to, but at the time, it, uh, I did not like it. They went on the self-titled for a long time. Uh, yep. That was, that was like their big thing. So when uh, Pillars of Humanity came out, I'm not going to lie, I didn't like this one as much. Really? I really didn't, and I know it's like considered to be like their masterpiece, like their their swan song. But mm-hmm. I actually found this one in comparison to the first Crucified album to be kind of boring. Yeah, um, it was more thrash than punk. I feel, and it was like a little bit more metal. Like, and it had a little bit of that like early '90s hardcore in it, which is a mm-hmm. style of music that I really like. Like, I, I can see 
the transition from bands like The Crucified on Pillars of Humanity, I can see how you got stuff like Six Feet Deep from that. And how yeah. you got like unashamed and, and you know, like all those and focused and like bands like that. I understand that it's important historically, but in a world where I'm listening to stuff like Zeo and you know, like it, it doesn't hit me the same way as those hardcore bands do. So when I hear it, I'm like, yeah, it sounds like the cell title a little bit. You can tell that's Mark Solomon and the drums are intense. Everything's intense. The record's good, but it doesn't have the same immediacy that the self-titled album did. Mm-hmm. And that could just be a me hearing it years later instead of hearing it the year it came out. Right. Yeah, it stood apart on its own when it came out. Uh, there wasn't, you know, a whole lot like it. There was some thrash that was coming out. You know, on the West Coast, you had Vengeance, Rising, and Deliverance. And you had Believer out of Pennsylvania. Um, all in the, the late 80s that were that were playing thrash and then Ben Sacrament. Um and the living sacrifice started uh, in the early '90s, um, but you know, going back to like 1989, as far as recorded product that was out there, there wasn't hardly anything else like that in the Christian music scene for sure. I'm gonna do a quick shout out since you just said living sacrifice. We're there. You go. We're big fans, especially uh, uh, unfortunately after DJ left. <laughs> I, yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of his vocals, but the hammering process is like in my top 10 all time. I was about to ask you what's your favorite. That's probably my favorite of their albums, too. Excellent. Very good choice. <laughs> I, yeah. love, I love that album. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. I think, did I did I say hammering process was my favorite one? <laughs> I might have said I might have said reborn. This I might have, have been to revisionist have, history going I, but, on Yeah, right I have now. to have some continuity with what I said on the episode. Uh-oh. Uh, it definitely wasn't. Uh, it was not. It wasn't non-existent. Process. No, it might have been conceived in fire. I think it was the one they put out after the hammering process. Yeah, I think that's I think that's correct. Yeah, yeah. Although DJ is an awesome dude, and oh yeah, he's so cool. Has a really awesome voice. We just didn't think so when we did that episode. But yeah, Pillars of Humanity was a good record, and I I appreciate what it did for Christian hardcore. I think I even mentioned uh, whenever I was talking to you about coming on the show that Christian hardcore wouldn't exist without the Crucified. Yeah, I think that is a true statement. Just because I can hear people taking taking ideas from what they did on the Pillars of Humanity and kind of beefing them up even more and uh, actually kind of slowing it down. Because, I mean, hardcore, I remember being kind of slow, like earlier hardcore. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember like hearing stuff like Six Feet Deep and being like, yeah, it's kind of like The Crucified, but a lot slower and like more emphasis <laughs> on the on, on the heaviness, you know, and that was before bands were playing like, you know, feedback and, you know, trying to find other ways to be extreme. But uh, I could definitely hear the influence on it. But for whatever reason, Pillars of Humanity just didn't really do it for me. Yeah. I mean, what did the rest of you guys think? I don't want to be the elephant in the room here. Well, I think you're wrong. How's that? <laughs> Fair. <laughs> it's yeah. It's a, it's definitely um, they progressed very quickly. The sound is uh, considerably different than where, the, where they started at. But I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Whenever we did. Uh, uh, we did uh, an episode of Drunken Lullabies uh, on Stavesaker, and we were listening to uh, Travis Turner. Like, keep going back to as the story grows, but that's one, that was one of my favorite uh, episodes. Was whenever they, they were talking about uh, the Crucified. It was uh, I totally lost where I was going with this. How awesome is that? Because I, I see Dan out of the corner of my eye grabbing pillars the of humanity. Oh yeah, I, I heard that because I've heard Stavesaker so many times, and I was just like, it's just it's adequate for me. It's not I'm not I was not a big fan uh, overall, 
And then I and then I heard pillars, and I'm like, "This is what Mark did before? Are you kidding me?" And he went to that. I uh-huh. and I was like, "Crucified is awesome." I was like, "I'm loving this stuff." Yeah, they are. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I I definitely I think the reason why I like Crucified so much is because I heard the downplayed version of what Mark has become with uh, Stave Saker and. I love the intensity that the Crucified had, comparatively speaking, and it just, uh, listen, because Pillars was the first thing that I heard, and it just blew me away, because I was like, this is not what I, I was expecting, and uh, absolutely loved it. Yeah, Mindbender, to me, just showed them coming up with just a great, great song. That's probably my favorite Crucified song of all time, although The Power of God, and I want to talk about the straining life and the power of God later, but... Uh, when, when I heard Mindbender the first time, I was just like, oh my gosh, they, they've arrived. The, the progression of their sound had really uh, gone up a notch for me and totally uh, liked that album from the get-go. And I, they came to Austin to play. I'd like to tell a couple of concert stories if I can. You can, yeah, Go absolutely. Okay. So the Crucified comes to the Austin Opera House. There was an, an 86-year-old lady named Blanche Paul who uh, she had a son-in-law who got saved uh, came to Christ and changed his life out of a life of drugs and being kind of a loser husband probably uh, came to Christ through Christian heavy metal so this 86 year old lady put on Christian metal shows she brought Believer White Cross uh, the Cruci- anyway, the Crucified Sacrament all these bands came in um, because of her she, just, she would just put on a show out of her own money and sometimes she would uh, get enough people there like a hundred plus people there paying their ticket price to uh, make make the situation work. But uh, she brought in shows on a regular basis. So the Crucified played the Austin Opera House, which was a, a fairly large venue. It was a single story place and had a large room in it. And um, it was funny before the before the show. You know, I went out there while they were setting up during the day before the show started. And Mark Solomon kind of called me back into the into the hallways behind the place and wanted to talk to me and it was funny he was kind of grilling me like you know why don't we give his band more coverage in heaven's metal you know is there some sort of prejudice against the band he really wanted to know why they weren't getting more love um out of the pages and i just i kind of i don't think i laughed in his face but i kind of chuckled and thought you know dude we we love you and we, we give you coverage and you know we don't have a a bunch of reporters that go out and, and, you know, dig up new bands. We just kind of report what comes to us. And maybe uh, your publicist isn't hitting us up enough to be covering you all the time. I don't know. But it was funny that he kind of, he really wanted to know what the, what the score was and why he didn't get more love in the pages of Heaven's Metal. And uh, I, I can't remember right now if the Crucified played Austin twice. I think they only came to Austin once. And it was on that tour and my band Lust Control opened for him. And it was, uh, it was a funny show because all the members of the Crucified just got chairs in the back of the back of the room, kind of about, you know, oh, 20 yards away from the stage and just sat there and just wanted to see this silly punk rock band they'd heard about. And, uh, and we played a, a one hour and 15 minute set, which was agonizingly long for all the people who were there to see the Crucified. Here's this local band that you know, the, the adage is you're, you're supposed to, as a warm-up act, you're supposed to warm the audience up and, and make it quick and leave them wanting more so so the people are all there to see the main act. 
So we not only played an hour, but we told the MC, hey, hey, get the audience to ask us out for an encore. And he's like, what? And he's like, no, no, do it, do it. You know, and so he egged the audience on to ask us for an encore. We played three more songs. And I found out later that Blanche Paul was going ballistic. What are they doing? You know, she was about to have a cow because we kind of spurred this on. And that's kind of one of those funny, embarrassing moments that I actually did with my band. Uh, that I shouldn't have. Did you open with Saved by Grace? <laughs> yeah, that usually we bookended our shows. We opened up with Grace, and then we the last song we would play had the Grace reprise at the end. So in between Grace, you'd hear all this condemnation and all this finger pointing, but we, we started and ended with Grace, so we could kind of make that point. <laughs> there was Grace for us all. I have to know then, did you get the crowd to chant along with the big M? <laughs> yeah, most, most shows... Uh, Probably That's had awesome. people laughing. That's awesome. And uh, at least by the second, you know, the the chorus is like a repeat of of, of that word four times, you know. So uh, at least by the second or third time, they would uh, chime in. And if they wouldn't, I'd put a microphone on their face and make them. <laughs> the Lust Control songs weren't that long, though. Like, did you guys play like 47 songs? Like, <laughs> like, well, or was there just like a lot of talking between songs? <laughs> by then, we had a... We had a few albums out so we and i always I always preached a little sermon and kind of told people what i thought the biblical um reasons for sexuality and purity were and tried to give people i always wanted to give people not just tell them something but explain why so i always used to like to give my spiel on on sex to the audience and so we'd have a we'd have a time for for a sermon and and try to provide time for a ministry sometimes where we could pray with people and stuff so we started during that era. We started putting on shows where we wanted a lust control show to be like an event, where it wasn't just uh, um, only about the music, but we wanted to be something that, uh, since dressing a serious, we wanted to kind of give it a little bit of seriousness. So uh, at least something somebody could take home and base something on. So very cool. It does make me a little upset, as much as we've listened to, we are not ashamed, and <laughs> as many times as I've seen. Audio Adrenaline live. All those times I never got a chance to see Love's Control. Well, we never it's played my fault. St. Louis. I need to come to Austin. Grow up in St. Louis. Absolutely. Yeah, we've been yeah. here for life. Except for Except me. Except this guy. Yeah, I, I moved a lot, but I'm originally from the area. We played Bartlesville, Oklahoma. We played Minneapolis, Minnesota. We played Cornerstone a couple times. And then Dallas and Houston and Corpus Christi and San Antonio. Those were in Austin a lot. Uh, so, Jeff, I want to give you some context here. It's entirely possible you could have been walking down the street in Austin and walk past <laughs> it's making me laugh just trying to say it you could have walked past a venue and heard an entire crowd of people chanting masturbation <laughs> but I mean that's your entry point that you're like well I gotta go check this out now I mean there's no yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> oh man what, what's that's going awesome. on in there yeah, yeah what's going on in this show like that's the whole point right uh, we got him yeah he's in the building now the sermon starts away Jeff's like this isn't what I signed up for no, I, I grew up in a very, uh, my uh, my parents weren't, really, weren't that religious, but my grandparents are a very important part of my life, and uh, they were very religious. Uh, they both grew up in, and stayed in the Church of the Nazarene their entire life, and it was very, very religion was a very important thing to them. Uh, the interesting thing is, is the, uh, the most uh, frisque that my grandmother would get with music was allowed well, she bought me uh, every Christmas she'd buy me a Carmen CD and that was like her oh really yeah that was her 
trying to be hip and get get me into um, that would be the music that I that she thought I could it would bridge the gap so to speak the champion yeah oh man another one bites the dust it would that was <laughs> that was <laughs> it was very difficult because my parents would make me listen to it you know at least when I was at grandma's and then I, you know, because... Now, son, she, she, she spent money on this, so you need to listen to it. Oh, and she'd quiz me on it, too. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. She'd quiz you on Carmen lyrics? Yep. To make you sure that... what I, trying to say here? Yes. I'm serious. And they would... We, she would start... It would be her way to start an in-depth conversation uh, mm. with me about religion. Well, she was trying to relate to you, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that. I mean, I love... It was my mom's... Uh, parents and I love them to death I always tell everybody like who's your hero and I'm like it's my grandfather I was like there's wow. there's not a more loving caring person on the face of the earth you know that was a joy to be around I mean he he made he made me want to be a good person because I wanted to be like him I'm hoisting a beer to you it's called uh, Willen uh, W-I-L-L-I-N and it's by the Brazos Valley Brewing Company out of College Station Texas it's a it's an IPA that's kind of citrusy. Anyway, oh oh, have you ever had Space Dust by Elysian? All right, I'll be here for a while. Have, yeah. It is my favorite beer. It is the it, I'm it drinking it. Good. I'm drinking it right now, and uh, it's right, the same huh? thing. It's an IPA with uh, with citrus, and uh, it's yeah, like my it's better signature on tap beer. than it is in the bottle. I think absolutely. If you can find somewhere that has it on tap, but it's getting more and more distribution. It used to just be local here to St. Yeah. Louis, but uh, now it's it's gone nationwide, which is great. Yeah, I'm not a big IPA guy. I'm I'm stouts through and through. Get out of my house. Oh, yeah? <laughs> oh, okay. yes. But, yeah, as far as Pillars of Humanity goes, I didn't care for that one very much. I seem to be in the minority there, so I'm going to keep it on there, on that level. But, yeah, uh, you're wrong. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> you know what, Doug? I'm going to take that from you. I won't take that from anybody else just because I read your magazine. <laughs> Especially Sorry. Jeff. I read your magazine for decades, and... Uh, you know, so I got to give props. But uh, if Doug Van Pelt tells me I'm wrong, I'm probably wrong. However, Absolutely. as far as uh, the other stuff they released, so they were going to record another album that yeah, did not come to that. yeah, didn't come to fruition. But they we did get two demos off of that called uh, what was it, Power of God and Straining Life. Straining Life, yes, which had different names on it as far as what's the title of that song until they actually re-released it on. Uh I get well. Uh, Light, Light of the Underground by Ocean Records. They released uh, those songs, one on each of their volumes. And uh, but prior to that, when they would play it live, because uh, they were playing a lot back then, especially in Southern California, and two or three thousand kids would show up at these shows. That's crazy. They were amazing, yeah. And uh, and the whole spirit-filled hardcore scene erupted after that with Focus and Unashamed and all that. Oh yeah. But That's they would my play those butter. songs. It was like a teaser, and people didn't know what to call that song until I guess they dubbed it that title when they released that compilation album. But what, what would that third Crucified album have sounded like? Judging by these two songs, oh my goodness. It sounds kind of like the spirit-filled hardcore bands. Um, like, not exactly like, but you could tell that those bands were taking props from the Crucified anyway. Yeah. But, like, it sounded more like they were going in more of that 90s hardcore direction. They were beefing it up just like they did in the 80s. You know, they, they went from yeah. from punk to hardcore punk to thrash punk or whatever you want to call that. I think they used to call it crossover thrash. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, like, and it was definitely that for its time. 
I think they would have adapted with the times. I think they would have gone in much more of a, a spirit-filled hardcore direction. Hmm. Like I get that vibe Another off thing of these I songs. To talk about tonight is uh, the band Pantera. I uh, like a lot of Christian metal and Christian rock. A lot of fans they gravitate towards. Well, you get the stupid comparisons. You know, if you like Rat, you'll love White Cross, and you know, if you like Elton John, you'll love Carmen. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> anyway, so you had those stupid comparisons, but you also, part of you, just as a as a kid, you wanted your friends and you wanted the band members of, of Pantera to know about the Crucified. You wanted the world to hear this band because you just knew if they were both on tour together or both at a big festival and Pantera fans had a chance to hear the Crucified live, they would have been sold. They would have loved that band. And, you know, you can't tell me that's not true, although it's just my opinion and you know, and I, I, if you guys have ever heard any stories about whether members of Pantera knew the Crucified or went to their shows, you know, speak up. I've heard rumors of that before, and but used to dream of of uh, those two bands getting together or at least their audiences knowing about each other. That would have been interesting for sure. Um, I have to say, we've we've entered a strange territory on the podcast in that uh, I am not a very Pantera friendly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> speaker but uh it would have been tell interesting. Us why. oh dude. <laughs> you go back and listen make, to make your point episode. but tell us why later oh yeah, yeah phil yeah i don't i didn't like phil anselmo very much um him and i have actually had small communication since then so it's been cool but uh beyond that i was not a fan of pantera uh for the longest time just because of the, the lyrical content um i didn't like their lead singer very much <laughs> And I didn't like the whole Southern, oh my God, it's Texas, Texas is great. No, I, I'm not from Texas, so, you know, um, yeah. it's one of those, like, it just seemed <laughs> like, it seemed like overly meathead. Like, one thing I hate about heavy music is the whole, like, I'm tough, I'm tougher than you, nobody's tougher than me, you know? <laughs> and I got that vein, yeah. I got that vibe from Pantera. So if that tour had ever happened, a Pantera and the Crucified tour, I would have seen the Crucified, would have enjoyed myself and then left. Nice. But it, that would have been interesting, though, because I, I can see what you're saying about if Pantera fans could get a hold of the Crucified, they would have another band to kind of rally behind, you know, yeah. and, you know, maybe the Christian lyrics might have put somebody off or not. But I don't remember Pantera's lyrics. I mean, there was a couple of songs, but Pantera wasn't necessarily not Christian friendly. That's kind of a bold statement, but I could see their fans maybe latching on to what the Crucified had going on because... It was the same sort of deal where you had an aggressive, you know, almost hardcore edge, but then you had this metal backing to it. And uh -huh. yeah, their fans may have may have responded pretty positively to what the Crucified was thrown down. Yeah. But no, as far as to answer your question, I don't I don't know if any of the band members had ever heard of the Crucified or considered taking them out on tour. I, I you know anything about that or No, the only person I know that might know is is to me, I have to call Joshua Toomey from the Talk To Me podcast. He might know. Yeah, he's a, he is uh, self-professed. I'll the, text the, the him right now. Hold yeah, on. The, the largest uh, Pantera fan in the world. That's like his band. <laughs> he came on our podcast and argued with me about Pantera for like half an hour. Yeah, we had a <laughs> we had an episode that we dubbed uh, Dantera because of Dan Terry nice. Pan Pantera, and we just kind of combined the two. And we had uh, some. We've had a we had a handful of regular guests that we had come on and that were huge Pantera fans. Try to dissuade Dan and try to change him to their way of thinking. 
And really what all ended up happening is, is I changed my mind and I, I just, I pretty much crapped on Phil Anselmo for the last half of the episode. And nice. Dan, Dan did it, you know, he never, he never lost, lost ground. If anything, he gains, he, he gained a supporter in me, but that was, that was by design. Cause I, uh, I like Pantera's music, not necessarily their l- lyrical content or fill the individual i'm definitely have not been a fan of yeah and uh there there's actually a little bit more information that that dan can get into on he's got another podcast that he does he actually got to talk with members of phil's band and some of the stuff that phil has been accused of is not a hundred percent accurate apparently and uh some of the stuff that he's done uh, he admits that he was a an, an idiot and a moron about so I mean there's that part of it but I just don't deal well with um, I, I've always wanted to stick up for the little guy because I was a little guy when I was young and I'm like I can't I don't allow it I just uh, anybody's being bullied or being crapped on uh, by by punks or not punks but really like bullies that fills a bully mm-hmm. and I don't deal well with people like that at all gotcha as you shouldn't it's cool. Final thoughts on the Crucified, Doug. I'm going to start with you. Uh, well, again, the Crucified was one of those bands that stood on their own merits. They uh, they represented uh, Christ well. I think Mark's book Simplicity is an interesting look into his heart and the conflicts that he was going through. I was at that show in Southern California where he uh, was going to make the big announcement about being an adulterer and sinner and going to step down from the Crucified and. The Crucified just put on such a killer show that I guess it, it wouldn't let it. He didn't have the opportunity to do that, and somebody jumped up and said something. I think that stole this opportunity to to spill the beans there. But so his his book is really fascinating. But the the Crucified is one of those bands that uh, I thought represented Christ well. I thought they represented the the music genre and their style well. I think they stand out as. Uh, you know their legendary status is is merited. I think that they they earned every bit of respect they have. Uh, they weren't uh, cliche. They weren't uh, posers. Um, they weren't image based. Uh, and I like what they said in an interview a long time ago. They, as a band, they just wanted to make music that they wanted to listen to. They weren't trying to please an audience per se. They were trying to please themselves, and they wrote music that they liked. And you know the fact that stuff that they like we all like too because it, it, it's just exceptional music uh their discography is you know way too short i wish they uh could have put out that third album there's no telling how wonderful it would have been but you know there's there's very few albums it's a rare album where every single track sounds awesome and you don't want to hit skip at all ever and uh those two songs we heard that were like demos straining life and the power of god uh those are like stellar tunes for me and so i think that third album just would have been fantastic and it's one of those situations where we can only guess and conjecture and wonder what if but uh uh the crucified is a band that uh you should definitely check out you know i had a guy a reporter from the washington post he came out to cornerstone uh because he wanted to cover the cornerstone festival and he's writing a book on christian rock and he released the book. It's called Body Piercing Save My Life. And uh, this guy, one of the things that I had the opportunity to do was he kind of uh, he kind of picked my brain a little bit about trying to understand Christian metal and Christian rock. And so 
I had a chance to send him music, and I, I, I want you to hear the 77 song, The Lust of Flesh, The the, the Pride of Life, and, and, and I want you to hear The Crucified. And So being able to pick and choose what you want to represent a scene, and I think The Crucified is one of those bands where anybody that's listening to this podcast, most people listening in are probably fans, they already know the uh, the, the the catalog and they're just they're just here to argue or hear some stuff they already agree with about how great their discography is but for those who haven't heard the crucified like some of you guys didn't hear them until later on something else pushed that button uh, I would definitely recommend them because I just think they they stand the test of time they're not cheesy now in the year 2019 you don't listen to their music and think oh that's just so horrible it's so dated it reminds me of this era and it's it's just awful uh, it's they're a classic band and uh, they they stand on their own merits and I give them totally thumbs up. Very cool. What about you, Dan? Oh well, I think like Doug said, the they're a classic band. If you haven't heard the Crucified, you need to. You have no excuse at this point. I mean, they they've got a collection that you can stream on your on whatever streaming app you want. You can listen to all of it. You can make up your own mind, but. I think you're going to find something you like there, whether you're a fan of thrash metal or punk rock. It's all there. It's the whole package. And uh, they're definitely one of the best bands to come out of that scene and are largely responsible for Christian heavy music continuing as it did. Yeah, I don't have too much to add that I have that hasn't been said by others or myself earlier. Uh, but the biggest thing for me was going i kind of went backwards i, I went uh started with stavesaker didn't care for it too much then hearing the crucified it was uh such a pleasant surprise and i really really enjoyed uh listening to the discography this week uh that uh that box set i think it's like two and a half hours and it's it's worth every second and uh I agree. the uh, the two The two demos that could have ended up being like the, off the third album, man, oh man, oh man. I what might have been because you listen to that now, and like you say, it stands the test of time. I was, it was kind, it was such a tease. I was so pumped, you know, hearing that. And I'm like, this sound because I was when I was listening through it, it's like this doesn't sound the same. This sounds like like it was recorded yesterday. This sounds awesome. And then finding out that you know that was the last things that they did, and I was like, oh man. What could have been? What about you, Joe? I want everybody to go home and listen to Lust Control. Amen. <laughs> All right. That's your final thoughts on The Crucified? The Crucified is a band you should listen to because there is not one Christian heavy metal band, especially, that was not influenced by the band, if only from their name. But when you look back into it and actually listen to everything they did, because like Jeff said, it's out there it's on streaming services thank you tooth and nail for giving us the entire crucified in one box set you can hear the punk roots hardcore punk roots the thrash metal you're going to have two and a half hours of your life that you're very satisfied to have spent listening to the crucified definitely fair all right one last thing that we have we do an album of the week uh okay so just really what you've been listening to this last week it can be you know, the crucified, it can be something else. It can even be a podcast or an audiobook, or, you know, or whatever has been uh, tickling your fancy for the last seven days. You know, I don't have to listen to the crucified to do my homework to prepare for this podcast because I can talk about the crucified at the drop of a hat. Um, <laughs> I listen to uh, nowadays I have an iPhone and I listen to my music on shuffle and I've loaded like thousands of songs on my phone and 
any song I hear, I really, really like and pra- actually love. So, um, so I'm pretty happy all the time with my music collection and a lot of Stavesacre and the new, the new Stavesacre album. Just I just purchased the new Stavesacre album uh, with some birthday money uh, about a week and a half ago. So I've been listening to that a lot. I've been listening to the new Muse album and the new Neil Morse album. Uh, I've been listening to a lot. Most of the stuff I listen to, I listen to like on shuffle. Like it's not so often that I'm listening to an album track one through 14 or whatever, uh, all in one sitting, but, uh, listen to individual songs. And, uh, so today the first song that came to my mind when you asked me that question was that new Neil Morse album. It's a double disc, um, the great adventure. Which is funny because it's Stephen Curtis Chapman, a contemporary Christian artist who's middle of the road, mild adult contemporary style music, um, had the same title. Uh, but Neil Morse uh, seems like all he does is do uh, concept albums that are two disc adventures, and his new one is a, a storyline. Uh, it's called The Great Adventure. And uh, so I've been enjoying that. Um, and really, really enjoying the new Stavesacre. Um, I listened to it all the way through before I decided to buy it because uh, I don't, uh, I don't buy a lot of albums these days. Uh, back in the day when I had a, a music magazine, uh, stuff just came to me uh, free of charge. It was a wonderful existence. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure. I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, I don't feel like the music industry is healthy enough to where it's cranking out. You know, you're not. The music industry is almost dead. It's really, really different than what it used to be. I don't think artists are making a living like they used to. Um, so anyway, it takes a lot for me to actually shell out the bucks to buy an album. Um, I haven't been much, much to buy singles, like uh, going to iTunes and buying a, one particular song. But So I tracked the whole Stavesacre album, uh, MCMXV or whatever it's called. Um, and I am liking it. And I appreciate the, the heaviness of it. So that's my boring answer to your question. Cool. Sweet. We like your boring answer. <laughs> well, Doug, in the interest of time, we'll uh, we'll save ours for, you know, when you, <laughs> for for later, but uh, uh, if you got to go, we will let you go, but I wanted to ask real quick, uh, where can people find you online or what, what do you want to what do you want to push? Oh, thanks. Thanks for asking that. Uh, I've been, I I stay busy. I haven't been as busy as I, I've been the last five years, but I've written like four or five books. I co-wrote the Michael Sweet uh, autobiography called Honestly, and I think it's out of print already. I think you know, a record company released a book, which is kind of weird. I think there a thousand copies of that book. I saw on eBay that there was like it was going for like 200 bucks for a book. Wow. But, uh, that was a book I co-wrote. I uh, put together a collection of interviews from the pages of HM Magazine called Rock Stars on God. They came out on Relevant Books, which is the same publisher who did Andrew Schwab's book and Mark Solomon's book. Um, that's out of print. But uh, the whole idea of doing Rockstars on God was that I would do volumes down the road. And so when volume two came out, uh, I self-published that. And I decided when I do volume two, I'm not going to pick the biggest names like Relevant did. I'm going to pick the best interviews. So Rockstars on God volume two is something that I want to push. And so on my Facebook, if you go to Facebook.com and type in Rockstars on God, you'll see uh, a page for Rockstars on God Volume 2. And there's links on there to you order it. It's like 15 bucks. Uh, and I'll give you a discount uh, if you use the word playoffs, P-L-A-Y-O-F-F-S. You'll get a $5 discount, so you can get that book for $10. Uh, another book that I wrote, which I'm using the discount code playoffs for, is Desert High. 
It's a novel about high school football and time travel. And that was like my great American novel. It's like my baby because it, it's like a book that I had to write. It came out of me because when I was in high school, I played football. My senior year, we went to the playoffs. In the first round of the playoffs, we got horribly ripped off by the refs. And I know a lot of athletes will moan and complain about that. But the referees actually met in Lancaster, California the following Tuesday. And they apologized to our coach. They said, I'm sorry. And I'm 56 years old now. I'm an old man, and I still can't get over that loss. So if I had a time machine, I would go back to November of 1980, and I would fix that game. So that's what Desert High is about. It's like Back to the Future meets Friday Night Lights. And also for those of the of the listeners who have kids, uh, I've written a, an illustrated a children's book called Bobby Baby Bear. So BobbyBabyBear.com, DesertHighBook.com. And uh, those are the places uh, people can find me. If you go to Facebook and type in Doug Van Pelt, you can find me in HM Magazine and Heaven's Metal Magazine. I got Facebook pages for all those, too. So that's a lot. And uh, also, Lust Control, my band, has been busy. We, we released our finest album to date, which is called Tiny Little Dots. We, uh, we started as a band in 88. In fact, last year was our 30-year anniversary. We, didn't, we only played one show, which was a travesty, but uh, to celebrate our 30-year anniversary. But uh, last year we did release Tiny Little Dots on vinyl, and that just came out. And I've been talking to Rocks Productions, or Rocks Records. They, they re-release a lot of Christian metal and even some new albums by some Christian metal bands like Holy Soldier and Fear Not, or a couple of new ones in the new Deliverance album. I think they might have had a helping hand with. But they're going to release a limited edition run of the Feminazi EP by Lust Control which was the music we were working on when we opened for the Crucified. Very nice. Cool. So look for that down the road. Cool. Well, we'll link as much of that as we can to the show notes whenever we're done. So people can just click right on it and go right to it. Right on. But uh, Doug, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk about the Crucified with us. You bet. Let's do it again sometime. Definitely a fun chat. Well, we're going to do it again, and it's probably going to be with Deliverance. So get ready for that. All right. All right. Have a good night. Thanks a bunch. Don't go anywhere. Well, Jeff, what is your album of the week? So I'm still stuck in Industrial December. I can't get out of it. I can't help myself. So I've been listening to The Storm Before the Calm by Death Therapy. Love that album. Dan, what about you? I'm going to take a stab at being a Jeff here. And uh, I've been listening to the new Zao 7-inch, which is called Transcoding. Oh, I f***ed it up already. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you get for trying to be a Jeff. Decoding transmissions from the Mobius Strip. And it's awesome. <laughs> you should buy it if you can. I think they're almost sold out already. London Calling by The Clash. Ooh. Excellent choice. We should do The Clash for one of our non-metal reviews. We should. I think we could definitely make that work. Let us know what you think, everybody. I'll make sure to have my Telecaster in hand when we decide to do that. And do you know how you can tell us what you think? How, Dan? Well, you can reach out to us on Facebook. We're on facebook.com slash discography discussion. You can send us a message. You can join the group, the discography discussion official group on Facebook. Lots of members there. Lots of cool discussions. And uh, you can also find us on Discord under the Discuss Metal Discord server. You can also find us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. You can leave us comments there. And if you want to go old-fashioned, you can send us an email at Dan and Joe Show at gmail.com whatever thoughts you have on the show whatever your reviews are whatever you think and if you want to submit a band for us to talk about submit that band for us to talk about we love submissions so do it now 
But before I get out of here, I want to make a shout out to our patrons. These are the people that are the music makers. These are the dreamers of the dreams. So I'm going to start off with Jeffrey De Los Santos. The actual Mac. Alexander. Joel Fawcett. Kiki Kuti. Is that right? Or is that something weird? What is that? It's not wrong. That's the name. Is it Kiki Kuti? Do you love me? I do. Uh, Luis Fernando Paisano Escalante. Escalante. Okay, thank you for that. Lance Oligood and Zach Barr. You guys are the best. You guys help us keep this podcast dream going. You make Dan struggle through saying your names live on the show. Absolutely, <laughs> and that is worth the price of admission. So thank you so much. We will get more content out to you as soon as we have it. I want to say thank you to all of our patrons. One dollar will get you into that exclusive album review feed, which by the end of the month will be featuring individual album reviews. That it will. And I don't mean the regular individual album reviews. I mean Dan's 21 album review. Special ones. They're coming. And on that note, this has been episode 106 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at patreon.com forward slash Discuss Metal. We have some sweet perks. Give me your money.